Section 18 of Stories in Black and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This section has been read by Rosalind Carlyle. Chapter 5 of General Passavant's Will by Grant Allen Next day I made a clean breast of it all to Maud. She listened in silence in that calm, cold way of hers. Then she took my hand in hers and, to my immense surprise, kissed me most affectionately. "'Ethel,' she said with a burst, "'I always knew you were a brick. I knew you'd follow the guidance of your own heart. But Linda's so different. She'll never fall in love, you may be sure, with any one on earth who could possibly come under poor grandpapa's prohibitions. She's absolutely mercenary. In the astonishment of the moment, I blurted out the whole truth. Why, Maud! I exclaimed. You're awfully unjust to her. She's in love already, and with an American, too. An alien, a foreigner. Well, there, Mr. Van Rainen. It was a shocking breach of confidence, I admit, and the moment I let the words pass my lips, I regretted it bitterly. But Maud drew back like one stung. Then she jumped up with a sudden air of resolve. If that's so, she said quickly in quite a hopeful tone, I must see Malcolm immediately. Malcolm will tell us he's so clever, Malcolm is. I see a way out, I think. But you're quite sure of this thing about Linda, are you, Ethel? As certain as I am about you and Mr. McKinnon, Maud, I replied, all bewildered. Though I don't see what difference that can possibly make to you and me, dear. Instead of answering, Maud looked at me hard once more, in her calmly contemptuous way. Maud had always a very low opinion of my humble intellect. Then she rose at once and swept out of the room with her train behind her, leaving me in utter wonder as to what on earth she could be driving at. That very afternoon, as soon as lunch was finished, Maud asked Linda and myself to go out for a stroll in Kensington Gardens. From the way she asked it, we saw at once she had something definite in view, and, though Linda was the eldest, when Maud asked us in her grand manner to go anywhere or do anything, we other two girls would as soon have dreamt of refusing to obey her as of refusing to obey a judge in Ehrman. So we followed her blindly through Palace Gardens, and past the round pond, and along the path to the seat under the trees by the Speak Memorial. As we reached the seat, somebody got up and raised his hat to greet us. He was expecting us, clearly. I saw at a glance it was Mr. McKinnon. Maud took his hand in hers without a gleam of recognition, yet I could see he held it a little bit longer than was absolutely necessary. You got my note, then, she said in her commanding voice, and you've looked this matter up for us, Malcolm. Oh, yes, Maud, Mr. McKinnon answered, just a trifle confused and glancing askance from her to me and Linda. "'Oh, never mind the girls,' Maud said quietly, with a little wave of her hand. 
They're all in the same box, you see. They won't turn back upon us. Tell us quite plainly what the law is in the matter. Well, I've consulted the will, Mr. McKinnon replied, drawing an envelope from his pocket. And I've consulted the authorities. And the result is, I find, that if your sister Linda marries Mr. Van Rainen, Oh, Ethel, how could you? Linda cried, turning towards me one red flush, and drawing back several paces in a tragic attitude. But Mr. McKinnon took no notice of her. And if your sister Ethel marries Mr. Kirkwood, he went on, and if finally you marry me, why then, according to your grandfather's will, which the courts would certainly uphold in every particular, your sister Linda's share must be divided equally between you and Ethel, your sister Ethel's share must be divided equally between you and Linda, and your share must be divided equally between the other two. So you see it cancels out. Each of you will get just the same in the end, and all will come square as if there were no restriction. Malcolm, Maud said emphatically, moving back a step and surveying him from head to foot with supreme satisfaction. I call you a Daniel come to judgment. Yeah, a Daniel. This is just delightful. And what's more, Mr. McKinnon went on, looking from one of us to the other, the arrangement would in every way be a most satisfactory one, for the original bequests are left under trust, and subject to many most vexatious restrictions, while the reversions, by a singular oversight, are absolute, and for your own sole use and benefit. Girls, Maud said triumphantly, you hear him? This is capital. Do you agree to marry and make this redistribution? Certainly, I answered without an instant's hesitation. And so will you, Linda, as soon as you've had time to make out what it's all driving at. I never saw a man more astonished in my life than poor dear papa when we explained to him the decision at which we'd all arrived. And I never saw a man more baffled either than Arthur Kirkwood when he found out they'd have to take me after all burned with a fortune of twenty thousand pounds, which he'd never expected. It lost him such a chance of romantic poverty with the girl he loved that I really believed if he hadn't been very much in love with me indeed, he'd have thrown me overboard at once and started afresh in quest of a penniless damsel. But he managed to put up with it for my sake, he said, and you can see me as his Rosalind in this year's Academy. End of section 18 End of stories in black and white